Welcome back to the Andrew Curtis Show. And to begin with, I have always felt that if you're going to be in the media, it's better to acknowledge your biases up front. And so here's one of mine. I really think New Zealand is one of the best countries in the world. There's no doubt about it to me. Our standard of living here, what we get to enjoy with the environment um, and the opportunities that we have access to are incredible. And so with that in mind, very recently there was a, uh, reports from the tax working group that were released and a lot of discussion around the capital gains tax. And that kind of sucked up all the oxygen. But there was a lot more to the report than that. And so when looking at this report, I just started to question, well, you know, what else is there to this? We tend to get a lot of responses along party lines and, and those sorts of things too. And I started to wonder, is it possible just to have a conversation about this um, with someone who's got a little bit more in-depth understanding of, of economics and, and also how party policy can work? And all of that brought together with um, the very gracious acceptance of, uh, of Jeff Simmons to agree to appear on the podcast today. And so, Jeff, welcome to the show. Kia ora, Andrew. Uh, now, Jeff, of course, you're still very much involved with uh, the Opportunities Party. Is that correct? Yeah, leader, in fact. Leader, in <laughs> fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd get that out, uh, out in the open from the very beginning. But now you've been doing a kind of a roadshow talking about the, the findings of, of the tax working group um, throughout the country. How many locations have you, you been to now? Well, uh, we, so I've been in um, Auckland and in Wellington, uh, specifically mm-hmm. talking about the, the tax working group. Um, mm-hmm. I've also been to, uh, to Tauranga and Hamilton and, and most recently Christchurch talking about uh, a variety of things. But, you know, the tax working group uh, stuff has, has featured uh, pretty heavily in in all those locations. Mm, mm. So look, let's let's kind of get things underway there. I mean, I suppose that the capital gains tax has been the main thing that was on on people's minds and debate over the kind of impact that 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 would have on the economy and and those sorts of things. So I mean, you know, let's start from the ground up. What were your your thoughts on this idea of a capital gains tax? Uh, because the parties people seem to be very much divided over you know, what it's even going to achieve. Is it a good idea? Is there a point doing it? All that sort of stuff. Where would you, where would you like to start on that front? Sure. Well, like, I guess, I mean, um, so these, the, the events that we held in, in Wellington and Auckland on this stuff uh, were, were with a, a range of experts, uh, economists, uh, tax accountants, tax lawyers, that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and pretty much the consensus uh, from, from, almost all the experts that I've talked to is that, I mean, we can, we can debate whether the capital gains tax is the best idea or if there are other ideas out there, um, which, you know, which there certainly are um, other ideas that might work better, but uh, you know, capital gains tax is probably the most understandable of those Mm. ideas. Um, But the bottom line is if you're not including the family home, it's a waste of time. Uh, because, I mean, the family home is um, is not is, is a roughly two thirds of our of our housing stock, mm. um, but it's also three quarters of the value of our housing stock. So actually, wow. you know, our, our rental stock tends to be the cheaper housing. Um, mm. The family homes are the are the are the much more expensive ones. So by excluding that, I mean. You, you're pretty much killing any uh, impact on the housing market. 
Yeah. And, you know, something that struck me when I tried to get a little more literate on these sorts of things as well is that, you know, the, the moment you start to have uh, exemptions, even for the best of reasons, um, they create this kind of rat's nest of uh, opportunities for people to divert, you know, assets from here and there and avoid paying the tax on these sorts of things anyway. Uh, and they tend to, and this is my perspective, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but they tend to end up penalizing those kind of at the lower end of the, of the market as well, who perhaps don't have access to the same resources to, you know, put things in trusts or bounce them around so that they can avoid those taxes in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah. When you, when you look at uh, these sorts of um, how these sorts of regimes have worked overseas. Mm. Uh, absolutely, uh, you. <clears throat> whenever you introduce exemptions, those exemptions, although they may be designed to help um, the, the the middle class, as it were, mm. they end up invariably helping the rich the most. Yeah. Um, because they can afford uh, lawyers and accountants and and all that sort of stuff, and so. Uh, who, who ends up getting hit by stuff tends to be actually the the, the middle class mm. because they they don't have access to lawyers and accountants. Yeah. So tell you what, let's let's get into this idea of of taxing the family home then too, because the uh, I guess the more visceral reaction that I've heard from people around that idea too is you know I mean it's a massive red flag for a lot of people that say no you can't be can't be doing that. Um, I have heard from um, various policy statements from the Opportunities Party in the past as well that, you know, if you're going to tax the family home, you do have to offset that somewhere else as well. Um, so could you, you know, ex expand on your thoughts a little bit more about the importance of taxing the, the family home as a part of that and how we can make sure that doesn't just create a net drain on wealth for people? Yeah, so the big problem in the New Zealand economy is the different ways we tax different investments. Mm. So, uh, you know, New Zealand has the biggest uh, difference between how we tax property and how we tax other investments in the entire Western world. Right. So then we wonder why we have more of our wealth invested in housing than any other country in the world. You know, more than half of New Zealand's assets are tied up mm. in in housing, um, forty-two percent of that is uh, is in the is in the family home. Um, so that's that's the, the the largest percentage in in the world. Mm. Um, and then we wonder why we have house prices that are ha the highest in the world. We <laughs> yeah. wonder why we have some of the poorest productivity in the world because mm. we don't invest in businesses as much as other countries in the world. Um, and then we wonder why. Uh, you know, house price uh, housing is the was also the biggest driver of, of poverty because um, you know the the growth in house prices and in rents has outstripped incomes for the past uh, twenty five years, yeah. and, and and therefore you know um, that, that's that's what's been driving poverty. It's not incomes. There's no there's no problem with incomes in New Zealand. Incomes are actually pretty good mm. um, given given the state of our economy. But uh, it's the cost of housing that's driven people to, you know, over the edge. Um, yeah. So that, so that's, that's kind of the big picture situation that we, that we face. Yeah. Um, and, you know, broadly speaking, there's two different ways that countries around the world have successfully dealt with this problem. The first way, and, you know, this is the, um, this is, 
the, the less popular way, if you like. Fewer countries have done this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, but, it, but it is done in Belgium, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Iceland, Slovakia. Um, these, these sorts of countries do do this. They say, well, we're going to tax all assets the same as if they were a bank deposit. Okay. So, so, and this applies to the family home too. So if you've got a million bucks in the family home, um, it, if we treat that like it's a bank deposit, well, a bank, if you've got a million bucks in the bank, you're earning 4% interest um, on that. Uh, so that's counted as income. And say, say you're, your t- average tax rate is 25%. Um, therefore, you'll end up paying about 1% of the value of that asset, say $10,000 each and every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we were to do that in New Zealand, we could afford to drop income taxes. So give everyone an income tax cut of about, uh, you know, drop taxes by about a third. So that's about, that's about 8% of your income that you get extra each and every year. Right. Right. So So, to to play the devil's advocate on that kind of point quickly as well, because that's where, you know, the opposition comes back of saying, well, you know, if I've, if I've saved really hard and I've worked really hard and I bought a, bought a property when, you know, it was really difficult. Um, and then there's somebody else who doesn't own a property. This is unfair to me because I, I did the hard yards and have a house now. And why should I end up paying on that when somebody else hasn't? Well, yeah, two, two responses to that. So the, the, you know, the fairness response, I suppose, is that, I mean, we're supposed to have a progressive tax system. Um, Mm. and yet New Zealand's biggest tax break goes to those who own, uh, assets, which is homeowners. Sure. So actually, uh, shouldn't we be giving <laughs> shouldn't we be giving our biggest tax breaks to people who don't own a lot? You know, the the renters. <laughs> mm. I mean, if we've got a progressive tax system, that's that that's the way things should be. But my second response to that to that point is that okay, well, that's that's fine. You don't think um, you you've you've worked hard to pay off your your house, and you don't think you should be taxed on that investment. So why do we tax bank deposits? Why do we tax businesses? Why do we tax KiwiSaver on the returns of that investment? We tax all of those things in New Zealand, but we don't tax housing. Mm. So if you're going to run that line of argument, then logically you should be arguing for the tax, for, for a tax reduction on KiwiSaver, on bank deposits, on businesses, and actually, this is what we see in many countries around the world, particularly things like KiwiSaver get taxed at the same rate as the family home, which mm. is basically zero. Yeah. So that's, that's the other way of, of dealing with this problem that you see in a lot of Nordic countries, for example. They mm-hmm. say, okay, well, we, will, we won't tax the family home, but we will tax, uh, but we won't tax KiwiSaver either at all. Mm so that you have exactly the same incentive to put your money into KiwiSaver as you do into, into property. Right. Um, so that, that's, a, that's another viable way of solving this problem. But then you get the problem of, well, where are you going to get that money from? Because it costs, it's quite expensive to not tax all these things. <laughs> sure. Um, so, and that, that's why nor, one of the reasons why the Nordic countries have such high income tax rates because because they're not you know they've got all these exemptions for things like KiwiSaver and 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 businesses much lower tax rate on tax rates on businesses Mm. Um, Mm. 
So where, where do we get that money from? And that, so, you know, I mean, we would be, as a, as a party, we're certain open, certainly open to that conversation, but then we've got to work out where, where that money comes from. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's something that, that, that struck me too, while you were describing the impact of housing on, um, you know, just on, on our economy in, gen, in general, as I'll, I'll always be grateful to a friend of mine who helped me understand it in, in these kind of terms that, you know, the difference between investing in a house and investing, say, in a business, for example, is that <clears throat> a business that uh, goes from, say, being worth half a million dollars to a million dollars um, has probably increased its productivity, hired more people, produces more whatevers, um, and has a greater impact on the economy. But a house that goes from half a million dollars to a million dollars still only has three bedrooms, still only has one bathroom, still only has a kitchen and a lounge. So it, it has, the, the only value really is inflationary. So it's this kind of mythology of increasing your wealth, but it doesn't really do anything. Exactly. Absolutely. And it's just, and that's why it's all in the land, you know, land prices have yeah. risen mm, in New Zealand. Mm. Uh, and, and that's, that's been the way to get rich in New Zealand is to invest in, in land uh, and, and you're not actually making anything that's productive. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you're just speculating and, but our, but our tax system has encouraged that. Uh, I think mm. you, you did right. That's a, that's a, gr- a great way of saying it. Mm. Well, you know, it kind of helped me get my head around it. Cause uh, you know, I, I understand too, like it, it is about incentives, you know, like it's at, at a base level. I've, I've also kind of looked at it like that, that yeah, if you create a whole bunch of ways to get wealth uh, you know, if you just understand it in terms of what costs you less um, housing costs you less in terms of uh, you know, you don't have to pay as much tax on it. Um, therefore the return for you is better. So why not go in that direction? Um but I can, I can still see, I mean, it's a, it's a hard sell. Have you had, had much success in terms of, you know, those conversations with people who, um, again, those who are homeowners, there's a strong um, resistance to this sort of thing based on, I guess, some of the things we've talked about. Um, have, have you seen much in terms of shift of, of perspectives on that or how have those conversations gone for you over the roadshow? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean when, when people engage in a, you know, in a, reasonable conversation about this stuff they they often end up getting it you know mm-hmm. um the 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 trouble is that we haven't as a society haven't had the conversation simply because um you know all the all of our uh career politicians are too afraid to have the conversation <laughs> yeah um and and as and as a result we don't you know we don't even have most people don't even have the opportunity to have a reasonable conversation about about these sorts of things mm. um so that that's really the the biggest barrier in my view is is you know career politicians not wanting to even not wanting to even go there and mm. therefore the working group couldn't couldn't talk about this stuff uh, mm. when you know their their own analysis showed that the biggest tax break is on is on the family home their biggest their own analysis showed that businesses in New Zealand are, are actually taxed. I'm not talking about multinationals like Facebook and Google here, but mm. your average Kiwi business is actually paying more than its fair share of tax at the moment. Mm. Um, yeah, I saw yet, something. It said something about the what was it about forty? It worked out about forty odd percent or something like that. It was like one of the highest in the OECD. Was that? Am I re- yeah. recalling that rightly? That's right. That's right. Um, and people might think that sounds a bit weird because our tax rate is is about um, is and our company tax rate is thirty percent. But uh, when you include the fact that um, you know people have invested in businesses and 
uh, and inflation is reducing the value of that investment over time. Uh, that that yet they are getting taxed on at thirty percent on all of the all of the returns, including inflation. Mm. Um, therefore, uh, you know it works out at, at over forty percent in terms of the the, the real tax rate. Mm, mm. Same with bank deposits. I mean, you know, you you put your money in the bank. You're lucky to get four percent these days. Sure. Yeah, um, and two percent of that is inflation. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So and, actually, and, and all that inflation as well. Probably about sixty percent of that was caused by housing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, haven't we done well? All right. Well, I mean, were there any other aspects to the um, the? Because I do want to talk about some of the other parts of the um, the report as well. But any other aspects particular to the uh, the capital gains tax as well that we haven't touched on that you'd like to um, bring up now? Well, I think the other angle to this is really. Um, I mean, there's two other very brief angles I'd say about the capital about a capital gains tax. Yep. And people people tend to start to realise these things when you when you start talking about including the family home. Mm. So, um, of course, a, a capital gains tax based on sale provides a, a, a disincentive to actually sell things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, either businesses or or the family home. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it provides a disincentive to move. For If, for example, you find work in another town, you're much less likely to actually sell up and move and take that job um, if, you, if you have to, you know, sell your house, pay capital gains tax, and then, sure. and then buy a new one. Mm. Uh, and so this is, you know, this is a, a, a real problem for the capital gains tax itself. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a transactional tax and therefore it, it um, reduces the number of transactions. We see this overseas. Sure. Um, so that, that's, that's one issue, and that, that's why our, our, tax, our tax proposal is, is to tax, uh, like I said, each and every year to the same value as a bank deposit. So it doesn't matter whether you sell that asset or not. Well, in fact, if you sell that asset, then you're, then you're not paying the tax anymore. Um, but, but whatever assets you have, uh, it makes sure you are at least paying as much tax as a as a bank deposit, mm. um, and and the final point is is one of of equity, um, and this is, you know, this is quite quite complex to get across. But um, you know, my big concern with a, a capital gains tax excluding the family home is that it will end up hitting the poor the most. I mean, obviously those who can afford, I mean, obviously house prices will come down a bit because some landlords will sell up mm. um, and that will help sort of the middle-class people who, who are ready to buy their first home, you know, house prices will come down a bit. So that's all, that's all good there. You know, I have no problem with that, mm. but actually what the modeling suggests is that uh, because, rental accommodation tends to have more people in it than the family home does per, mm. per bedroom. Um, what we might, what, what we are, what we could see as a result of this is fewer, fewer rent, you know, fewer uh, rentals up uh, within the market. Um, so a tighter rental market, which means right. rent will rise. Yeah. Mm, mm, and, mm. and potentially rents are, are pretty likely to rise by more than we can compensate poor people through income tax cuts because of the revenue raised. Yeah. Uh, 
So this this only happens if you're excluding the, the the family home because if you include the family home, a you raise more money and so you can afford to compensate poor people more, sure. and rent and also rents won't rise by as much because you know the the burdens being shared across the economy rather than just hitting uh, the the rental sector. Mm. So you know there's there are some there is some potential for some pretty perverse rare, uh, in, in, uh, pretty perverse outcomes as a result of this. Uh, this capital gains tax proposal. Yeah, yeah, and look, I think too, it's it's probably fair to acknowledge as well that there there's a certain fundamental here um, that I've I've brought up with people too that in terms of what is a fair system, I mean that is a subjective value. Um, that we all have to look at something and say, well, what do I think is fair? And you have, as you say, some people who own homes say, well, this isn't fair, another person doesn't or whatever. And even things like a progressive tax system, um, there's an element to which you have to acknowledge, well, look, do you believe that that is the way we should best structure our society to, uh, yeah. to, help, you know, to help people or not? And if some people say no, then you go, well, I mean, that's kind of the end of that conversation. But if you do, these are the things, like you say, you have to wrestle with. You've got to kind of push backwards and forwards on and find out where the where the edges are. And yeah, we just really haven't had that conversation here. That's right. That's right. And like I said, ultimately, I I lay that the the blame of that at the at the feet of career politicians who oh. who are who are just not willing to have that bigger conversation. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, one other thing too, actually, just just pop back into my mind that I wanted to check with you about um, property as well um, was that. I've also been thinking too about how, particularly the way our houses are priced now um, and the vulnerability that it actually places a lot of uh, particularly middle-class New Zealanders under when you consider the debt burden they all have to undertake to get into the housing market as well. Because uh, we've had this you know, unprecedented period of you know, prices going up and everything going really, really well. Um, and you know, not whether or not I want to label it as a bubble or anything like that, but you know, a longer term study of economics from, again, my layman's perspective is that things do go up and down. Uh, and if you owe a million dollars and things go down, um, you're in some serious trouble. And, uh, you know, we have incentivized that kind of thing. And so I think, you know, if, if the harder economic times do hit New Zealand, and I think we've probably been a bit isolated, not isolated, insulated from serious economic downturn for probably about 20 or 30 years, uh, that to me is another reason why when I look at housing as a, as a place to tie up, you know, what, 80, 90% of your wealth, um, that it's, it's not a very, uh, what's the word, not a very safe long, long-term prospect. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, no, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, we got lucky in the global financial crisis because mm. China, China sort of started buying our milk at the same time. And that, that kind of, uh, as you say, insulated us from that particular crisis. We we may not be quite so lucky next time. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've seen around the world the the impacts of the of the markets that had uh, property bubbles, and yeah. you know, that some people got hammered with with negative equity. Some of those economies, um, you know, because of the the, the risk that their housing market. Um, posed to the entire economy, you know, ended up uh, wobbling for, for for many years. So, mm. look, I I, I I totally agree. This is this is adding an incredible risk to uh, to our economy. And and again, we come back to that point for what you know for mm. we're not really we're not really any better off. We're, we're no. better off on paper, but we're not really actually any better off for all of this. Well, that's it. And I mean, it, it always strikes me too, you know, and you hear people tell, uh, you know, I've heard 
telltale of, you know, oh, you know, I bought this place for this much and then I sold it for this much and I didn't do, didn't I do well? And you go, oh yeah, cool. How much did you pay for the new house? I said, oh, about the same. I said, so what did, what? <laughs> like, oh, look, I made 500 grand. Oh, how much did you have to spend on the new house? Oh, about 500 grand more. Yeah, I suppose you would. Um, <laughs> paper value looks great, but we're not, yeah, as you say, and it's, it's all tied up and yeah. I mean, and I wouldn't even necessarily label it a bubble um, in, in New Zealand. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, whatever. Uh, to me, if I was to fine tune my argument, it's just more about the fact that high levels of debt make you very vulnerable. And to ignore that for, like you say, for, for, for paper value, uh, you know, wealth going up, but your income isn't really rising relative to, you know, the, the costs of living and things like that. Um, oh, I don't know. I just, yeah, it, it concerns me, but I can totally, I totally take your point as well that anytime somebody's brought up something like a, you know, capital gains tax or, or looking at housing and particularly the family home, uh, it's been election suicide. So we just haven't really talked about it at all. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So let, let's talk about some of the other findings of the, um, of the working group as well, because I think those have been less well publicized. What have been some of the key things that have stood out to you and that you would either agree with or challenge the findings of? Well, I mean, the, the positive side of things is, is actually the work that's gone into uh, environmental taxation. Okay. And uh, sadly, that hasn't uh, had nearly as much well sadly it didn't get as much focus from the tax working group themselves uh and and also hasn't been um publicized nearly as well as a as a capital gains tax uh, because mm -hmm. I, I think this area is really exciting um mm. new zealand has some of the lowest taxes on um on pollution in in the world mm. um and uh you know so there is real potential uh, to not only gather more revenue there, but also to uh, incentivise businesses to, you know, act in a more uh, sustainable fashion. Um, so that's that's a real um, businesses and people actually. Uh, yeah. So that there's, there's real potential there that we that we haven't really talked about. Now, those are the things too that those in the agriculture industry tend to, you know, red flag about as well, right? Because it it, it's often seen as targeting those, you know, say in dairy, for example, and the amount of uh, effluent that's going into rivers and that sort of thing. Um, is that, is, am I on the right track with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, I mean, it's not so much a, a story of, of effluent these days. Um, most farmers uh, you know, just through simple regulation, most most farmers should be uh, keeping effluent out of out of rivers. Um, mm. But the but the the, the big issue uh, is is soil and nitrogen. So nitrogen comes from cow cow pee, um, mm. in, ending up in our you know ending up in our rivers. Um, it, it soaks soaks through the soil. The soil can't take it up, and it ends up in our groundwaters and, and in our and in our rivers. Mm. Um, and, and that, that nitrogen, well, obviously soil, you know, the, that, that obviously causes, you know, muddy water and, and, and all sorts of, all sorts of environmental problems. Um, but nitrogen is a, is, is a nutrient and can lead to, uh, to the growth of, of, of weed as well as it's, a, you know, it can, if it's in sufficient quantities can be a direct, directly be a toxin to, uh, to and you know uh, water life and to um, and to even to humans. 
Yeah, yeah. So what are your thoughts on then, you know, because I think it's probably important to break that down a little bit further as well. People have pointed out that New Zealand is so much an agriculture-based economy. So, um, I mean, first of all, would you even agree that, you know, say like farmers and things like that would be the, those who are probably most heavily affected by this kind of regulation? And then secondly, um, how do you think something like this can be implemented so that you're not also kind of kneecapping your economy at the same time? Yeah, I mean... Um so the, the OECD has, has shown that this, this can be done, this sort of stuff can be done in, a, uh, in smart ways so that you encourage, you know, better farming and, and don't, um, uh, you know, don't knock the stuffing out of the, out of the farming sector. Mm. Um, so, um, for example, what we have proposed for, um, for nitrogen is a is using a, a market-based solution rather than regulations so that so okay. farmers can you know benefit from changes to the way that they operate mm. um i uh so what what we're suggesting is that okay you're allowed to, each parcel of land is allowed to leach a certain amount of nitrogen within a, within a certain catchment uh-huh. um if you're above that uh that that limit you you pay Mm-hmm. And if you are below that limit, then that money comes to you. Oh, okay. So you you, you see it in a you know you see it in in your bottom line that mm-hmm. uh, if, if you're if you're behaving in a in a you know farming in a more sustainable fashion uh, that that actually shows up in your in, in your bottom line. Mm-hmm. So you got this you got this incentive to really improve processes and um, and. As as we've seen, uh, like I said, as the OECD has shown overseas, if you if you implement this uh, implement this sort of approach smartly, um, you you actually see you know you, you really spur innovation on, and not only does that mean that we can um, improve the environment without you know without stuffing the the, the farming sector, mm. um, but also you can actually. You create um, whole new innovations that the, that the that our farming sector can can sell to the rest of the world. Mm. So there's um, there's there's real potential there for uh, for you know improving our economy and our environment at the same time. Yeah, and I tell you what I really like about that as well is that. Um, often I have perceived that tax tends to be used as a blunt instrument from the outside to disincentivize things. Um, but in terms of, you know, what you get back from it, that's not often, uh, you know, say the fuel taxes and things like that, for example, the, the, the reward seems to be quite disconnected from having to pay a little bit extra on, on something. And so it's actually quite surprising for me to hear about a policy that says, yeah, we're going to tax you more for this, but if you meet this thing, we'll actually give you money. I'm like, ah, oh, haven't heard that much before. That's, that's, that's a new one on me. Yeah, and I mean, so another thing that the tax working group um, was talking about, instead of using fuel taxes, which are a really blunt instrument, um, is to instead move to congestion charging. So, you know, we do have the technology now that can track, you know, just like we can track humans everywhere, Mm -hmm. um, we we can track cars everywhere and and know where, where they are at different times. And so... The idea of congestion charging is that if you are in, um, you know, if, if you are in a certain congested area at a certain time, right. uh, you, will, you will pay. And if you're not, 
uh, you, you you don't pay. So actually, um, the whole point of that would be that you could you could get rid of fuel taxes or at least you know uh, lower them lower the ones uh, that that relate to how to build our roads mm. and the people who are actually causing the need for more roads to be built would be paying for it. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how would that, again, to play devil's advocate on this sort of thing, if you were, say, more of a lower income earner and you do have to drive a long way for work and it requires you to go onto the motorways and things like that, um, how how would you address that as being, again, somebody who's wealthier could pay that a lot more comfortably than somebody who's on a lower income? Um, so what would be the approach around something like that? Yeah, I mean, what I'd say is that, I mean, the current approach to fuel taxation is actually pretty regressive because mm, um, yeah. richer people can afford more efficient cars, and mm. so they end up um, they end up uh, you know paying more fuel tax uh, per per kilometre than than, than than rich people. Mm. Um, so so we've already got a, a regressive system in, in place. Um, the thing with congestion charging is that, um, you know, for, for example, people use, you know, people talk about, um, people talk about cleaners and things. Well, they're actually usually traveling off peak. Um, right. Right. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of the, a lot of the jobs, uh, that, that, are that are lower paid, you know, actually, um, you know, can, can benefit from uh, avoiding the peak and, and and traveling at a different time, and so mm. that they, therefore they wouldn't be paying the the, the congestion charge. Mm. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it is for 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 those that are uh, that are you know caught by it that that would be an issue. Um, mm. But you know, generally speaking, it's it's more of a um, it's 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 less regressive than the than the um, uh, you know, than, than the current fuel approach. Sure, sure. And I mean, there is something to be said for, as you mentioned, you know, if you're the one who's actually, because people complain about this all the time with having to pay a tax, where even at the moment, not not counting the regional fuel taxes, where the majority of fuel tax still goes towards Auckland anyway. Uh, and so people in Invercargill, for example, um, complaining about how much they have to pay for fuel when the majority of the, you know, the cost of, ta- of fuel is tax and most of that tax goes to Auckland anyway. Um, so, I mean, this is the thing, I think that the understanding of trade-offs is, is kind of a lost art in New Zealand, right? We're always, I think both sides are guilty of shooting for utopias, um, where, you know, at some point you have to say, well, look, this is, this is a solution. Yes, there is a trade-off on this, but we think it's, it's the best solution that we've got, um, instead of one or, you know, one or other party saying how, no, no, we've got the solution that's going to make it perfect for everyone, which again, just, I, I think makes a colossal waste of time. Yeah, yeah. All right, I think. I mean, I think actually, what you what you tend to see is solutions that um, that you know really only hit uh, you know a, a, a demonised few. Yeah, um, right. So, so for example, you know the, the capital gains tax, um, avoiding the you know excluding the family home has has been you know very much billed as a as a hit on uh, you know rapacious landlords. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, which, which they've, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's good and bad people in, in every group of society, you know, um, mm. there's, there's good and bad, uh, landlords, there's good and bad farmers, there's good and bad, uh, unionists. Um, mm. <laughs> so, yeah. 
you know, um, I, I, what I, that tends to be the approach that that Labor and National take is that they'll go for they'll mm. go for uh, policies that can um, that, you know that that the majority can get behind because it puts if there is any trade off it's 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 putting it the the boot into a, a small group that's that's perceived as uh, as um, as somehow being other. Yeah, yeah. Actually, when you said that too, you reminded me of another thing I did want to ask you about. It, I suppose it can tie back to the capital gains tax as well, but there might be some other applications here. Um, what about the international factor? Uh, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, particularly in, in, in Auckland, you know, they're talking about the influence of overseas buyers, uh, which is usually code for Chinese people, by the way, just so we're making yeah. sure we're really clear about that. Uh, because um, what was, was it the, which report was it that was based on the, the names of the, the people who were buying homes and were assumed to be Chinese or something like that? It was some crazy as report. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was the Labor Party analysis based on, um, based on the names of people that were, that were making purchases. Yeah. Yeah. Charming. Um, so, but what are your thoughts on that sort of thing? Um, and with say overseas buyers in New Zealand and, and, um, you know, when you talk about businesses as well, cause that also did, did strike me that I wasn't aware too of how open our, our market is to be abused on a environmental level. And again, just from a purely, I guess, cost benefit point of view, if you as an overseas business can go somewhere and pollute and the cost is less, you'll go there and do it. Um, and if anything, I think we're probably quite fortunate that more overseas, um, you know, companies who might want to take advantage of that haven't done so. Uh, but then I'm also generally fairly um, fond of a free market as well. So maybe I'm a bit conflicted. What do you reckon around that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm an economist by background, so I'm, I'm, I'm totally on, on board with a free market as, as long as it's, uh, you know, as long as it works properly, and that means. Um, you know, bringing bringing uh, bringing the externalities in. So that's making sure that you're not putting uh, that you're not putting costs onto other people. So mm-hmm. you know, polluters paying is actually uh, you know standard standard economic thinking. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, in terms of in terms of the yeah the the, the foreign scourge uh, sort of <laughs> thing. Um, I mean, well, the government has already moved to, um, to, to to ban foreign buyers, and I have no doubt that that will, um, you know, that has been part of the, um, you know, cooling effect that we've seen in mm. uh, in, in Auckland. Um, yep. You know, my my reading of overseas situations on this stuff is that is that the is that that cooling has only had a temporary uh, impact. Um, it stops foreign buyers who might be mum and dad investors, but it, it's not really going to stop any large scale yeah. investors because there's, there's always ways around these things. You know, you can, uh, mm. you can set up a company in New Zealand. You can, um, you know, get, get someone who, who, you know, who is in New Zealand to, to, to buy on your behalf, all that sort of stuff, uh, mm. can quite easily you know, go on. Um, it's it's very difficult to stop that stuff in a in an open economy, which which we have. Um, you know, China is a different story. You know, it's it's difficult to get money in and out of China, let alone uh, you know go there and and, and buy land. Yeah. Um, so you know, some people ask, argue that we sh- that we can't do it there. So why should they be allowed to do it here? Well, again, we come back to the fact that we're you know we're in, we're an open economy, and that's that's the way we set up. I mean, if you if you 
want to go back to the days of Muldoon where you um, where where we restricted the you know basically you had to ask the government if you could go on holiday overseas because you had to get hold of foreign exports. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean that that's that would be a very different way of operating than than we than we do now. Mm. Um, so you know there's there's some there's some complex there's some complex issues there and um, and and we come back to the fact that actually because New Zealanders stick all their money into housing, it's really only foreigners that invest in businesses in New Zealand. <laughs> True. Very good point. Very yeah. good point. Yeah. So. I mean, actually, you know, foreign investment um, has is, is a pretty major part of our of our business sector. So, um, yeah. I'm I'm all for um, you know I'm all for Kiwis owning more of our own country. But to but to do that, we have to uh, we have to do something about our approach to housing. Property. Well, I mean, it's a, it's that un- yeah, it's that unexpected consequence, right? Because you know, it kind of makes a lot of sense from my perspective. You know, listening to that, because when we when we have um, thoughts on you know restricting foreign capital, there's usually a huge uh, you know an outcry from those in the business sector um, who are so desperate for it. And you think, well, why are they so desperate for it? So, well, because nobody in New Zealand has any spare cash. Uh, you know, all of our cash is tied up in our in our you know in our houses, for example. And so to grow a business, um, I mean, the most common thing that I've heard people try and do is, you know, they just get some kind of a extension on the mortgage basically and, and twiddle some cash out of it that way if they're looking to start a company up. But it's still still connected to their house. It's the only way they can really get the money. So yeah. we've, we've kind of, we, well, we have, we've done it to ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, you know, like I said, we come back to that issue we we, we talked about right at the start. You know, you, mm. you've either got a you've either got a tax housing or you've got to um, reduce the tax on other forms of investment so people can you know put their money in, in KiwiSaver and and build up our wealth that way. Uh, I mean, you wonder why Australia owns most of uh, most of New Zealand's banking system. It's because uh, Australia has a very large compulsory super scheme. Superannuation, right. right? Yeah. Okay. So then, again, looking to to move on to some of the other parts of the um, the, the the working groups finding and, and things like that. We talked about the environment and the CGT and those sorts of things. Uh, what else? What else kind of stood out to you as either an opportunity or something you'd want to challenge about the findings? Um, I mean, I guess the you know the um, you know part of the problem for uh, that the, the um, uh, that the the tax working group kind of threw up uh, was that um, we, you know, a, a whole lot of different things were, were taken off the table. Um, you know, I already mentioned the the, the family home, but um, but you know, things like also. Um, well, in, in the first draft of the tax working group report, they actually said that they were going to look at a capital gains tax and uh, something called the risk-free rate method, which is basically the opportunities party tax policy. So that's what I was talking about with um, ensuring all assets pay as much tax as a bank deposit, basically, mm-hmm. uh, each every year. That's what they call the 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 it's what the tax working group calls the risk-free uh, rate method. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like I said, there's other ways of of 
of cooking this goose, as it were. You know, we could look at ways to to raise revenue so that we could drop the tax on uh, on KiwiSaver, or we could look at at a, a, you know a land tax, since since land has been the the, the asset that has um, boomed the the most under the current tax system. Mm. Um, and you know that, that I guess that was the the real disappointment with with the tax working group is that this wider conversation on uh, different types of uh, of of uh, taxation, um, different ways of solving this this problem that we have of of um, over investment in housing, high house prices, and and really poor business productivity. Which um, you know, like I said, I think. Of, a lot of experts agree is 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 a is a problem. Mm. Um, so the, yeah, I, I was I was disappointed at, at the level of kind of breadth of debate that that this um, that the tax working group kind of kind of threw up, um, and that's partly to do with with the tax uh, with the terms of reference that the government gave them. Like I said, you know, they got quite a narrow terms of reference. The government didn't want to talk about certain things. Um, what what, what also, were the things that were excluded? Just just so we're a bit clearer on that. Uh, I mean, I, I can't remember the terms of reference right off right off the bat, but they okay. certainly they certainly ruled out uh, things like changes to, to GST and 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 oh, right. and, and um, um, so you know, lots of the ways that that you might pay for a reduction in taxation on KiwiSaver, for example, was ruled out. Um, we've already talked about excluding the family home, um, so that was that was one of the big things that was that was ruled out. Mm. Um, so th- those sorts of restrictions are kind of made um, were, were definitely part of the the equation, but also the tax working group. For some reason, between doing quite a reasonable uh, midterm report and, and and its final report, just start just stopped talking about all of these other options. Mm. Um, and so it's it, it was partly the government's fault, but it's partly the tax working group's fault too. They just seemed to to, to narrow in on on one answer that they wanted to talk about and 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 focus on on that. So I think I think that that's been a real um, that's been a real shame in terms of that kind of broader debate that we need to have in New Zealand about about our tax system. Uh, and I think a, a related point there is is one that I raised even uh, you know pretty much soon after the election when um, you know uh, when it, we knew that the, the, the it was going to be a Labour led government. Mm. Um, I raised that I, I, I hoped that this exercise would actually include um, some, you know, uh, an, an opportunity for um, citizens to engage in a conversation about tax, and I and I really don't think that that has happened. Um, you know, there's 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 lots of cool uh, deliberative democracy tools out there, like like participatory budgeting and citizens' juries and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That could have been used to engage the public and 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 see what see what they thought actually about about um, you know t- taking a, a much a much broader look at our tax system. 
Yeah, um, actually, I'd love to actually dive in a little bit more on those those points just for a moment too, if you might, uh, if you don't mind, because sure. I think that idea of of participation in in government. Um, I wasn't planning on going there with this, but I think that's actually a great opportunity to talk about it. Um, I, my observation is that the general public uh, involvement in in political debates and things like that has declined quite a lot in the last few years. Um, that the the opportunity for people to really engage on this kind of thing has has declined a lot, and there's a lot of cynicism around it anyway. So, again, just my perspective on that. So, love to hear your thoughts, but also, yeah, if you could expand a little bit more on some of those ways that uh, you know other democracies have have found to increase involvement and participation from uh, from the people in their decision making process, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, so obviously, referenda people tend understand. Um, that, that you know the approach with referenda. Um, mm. the, the downside with referenda is is that you can often end up with contradictory um, ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you know you need to put quite a bit of thought into into how they're structured. And you know the, the Swiss are pretty good at that sort of stuff. But I mean we, you see what happened in California where one referendum said we we need to increase. Uh, spending on education, and, and the other one said, um, "But we're not going to, uh, we're not going to allow any more taxation to happen." Um, <laughs> right, right. So that, that that pretty much led to the to the government getting bankrupted, um, almost. Um, <clears throat> so there's been quite a lot of development in this in this arena throughout the years. Um, rather than going to large numbers of people through a referendum and asking them quite a simple question, uh, taking more deliberative approaches. So getting a small but representative group of citizens together. So, um, so you know, you can, you can actually, with, with about 40 people, you can actually get a group that is pretty representative of the population Okay, and still have it be, you know, statistically significant. Uh-huh. Um, and if you if you treat that those people like a like a jury or like a like right. a, an assembly of politicians, and you give them the resources, you give them access to experts to understand the issues, um, and, and give them some time to, to to deliberate, they can actually come up with some pretty uh, effective ideas on on how to you know move these issues forward, um, and and you're not captured by uh, yeah, the downside of the referendum is that you know you you're, you're trusting the, the the masses, but they're not necessarily educated in the issues. Mm. And 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 the issue with politicians is that they are educated in the issues often, but but um, their major concern is getting re-elected. re-elected so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's a limitation uh, in, in in that system. Mm. So Nick. Citizens' juries, citizens' assemblies, and participatory budgeting—you know, those are all good examples of things that uh, that get around those issues and uh, can can involve people and and uh, allow them to uh, embed the, the the values as a society, but also draw on expertise and um, and come up with potential solutions to our problems. Mm, mm. How do you? How well do you think our our media is playing into that, facilitating that kind of discussion at the moment? Because I, you know, even when you're talking about referendums, um, one of the thoughts that went through my mind was it's it's kind of like political clickbait. 
uh, that it's like, hey, here's this issue, and you know, are we all upset about it? Yes, we are. But you know, these things are always interconnected, and so I think for all the referendums we've passed, I, I can't actually think of too many where the um, the results actually then been accommodated within uh, within government. But anyway, the the point is more in terms of how those things are presented. Um, you know, what what is your sense of of the role that media is playing in communicating these ideas to people? Yeah, I mean, it's you know that is difficult, and I and I do I do feel for media because they have a real incentive to provide um, to provide clickbait. Um, mm. It's all about uh, advertising and eyes on pages, and and it and it's becoming a an incredibly uh, ruthless industry. And um, you know, if a if a journalist spends all day uh, on on one piece and uh, and it only gets five eyeballs on it. You know that that journalist is competing with another journalist that that yeah. can roll out five, six, seven, eight pieces in a in a day without much thought, but but are um, you know but a but a much more get, get a lot greater engagement because they're a lot yeah. more controversial, mm. um, and that and that does tend to take. Um, Drag us down to the to, to the lowest common denominators, uh, sadly. Um, so that's you know that that stuff is a is a real challenge going forward. Um, thankfully, you know we are still seeing you know media around like um, like RNZ, like uh, Newsroom, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, outfits such as yourself who are who are offering people uh, a lot more in-depth, um, you know, coverage, mm. and and you know, thankfully, you know, those those uh, you know outlets do have a market, um, yeah, yeah. be sustaining them. So um, all we can do is, is is hope that 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 continues and and. Uh, and you know, I'm I'm also a big fan of um, of taxing Facebook and Google and putting that money into public interest journalism. So yeah, um, true. Yeah. Mm. Well, look, uh, we've we've only got a few more minutes together, so I thought it might be it might be an interesting point of reflection too to finish on this one. What would you say is one of the most um, uh, fair criticisms of the, you know, kind of the, the policies that you have put forward, the ideas that you've discussed so far. Um, yeah. What, what have you found as being one of the most fair criticisms of that or the strongest arguments against the kind of things you've, you've brought forward? Um, uh, so, so other people's criticisms of, of our policy. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I think, you know, one of the, one of the reasonable issues is around, um, you know, someone who has, um, you know, and, and my, my parents are, are a pretty good example of this. You know, they, they bought in, in Grey Lynn at a time when it was still a working class suburb in, in, in Auckland mm-hmm. and have seen it, uh, you know, develop into a, an incredibly <laughs> wealthy suburb uh, in the time that they, have, that they have lived there. I mean, I think their house price has has gone up by five times in wow. the, in the, in the roughly 20 years that they have, um, that they have been there. Hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, our, um, 
our tax policy would, uh, you know, because it is effectively a tax on the the equity that that exists in a in a, in a property. Um, you know, my my parents would be paying, um, you know, say one percent of the value of their of their home each and every year, and um, and you know, for people who uh, started off as as uh, you know very middle class, you know, they're both, they're, mm. they were both teachers in their time. Mm. Uh, some may consider that unfair. Mm. Um, but, you know, by the same token, they also have, um, they also have a, a, a $2 million home in, in, <laughs> in, uh, in Westmere. So uh, Westmere Greyland. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't, I don't, um, you know, shed huge numbers of, of, of tears for them. Um, uh, if, if this if this policy was was implemented, I mean, you know, really that that sort of inner city sub, suburb should be occupied with, um, you know, with much younger working couples. But it is it is actually full of retired people, which I you know I find quite bizarre. Yeah, um, they're, they're they're not selling up and 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 letting the the younger couples um, move in. Uh, so the, yeah, the. the that that could be that could be perceived as as unfair. I mean, our our way of of dealing with that is to say, well, if you want to stay in that in that house and you can't afford to pay the tax, then then you can just you know you can just top that tax up and and pay it when you when you know when you die and when your estate is is uh, is disbanded. So uh, you know, there's there's no way that um, that they're going to eat through the entire value of that house. Uh, you know, at one percent a year. Um, mm. So, uh, and and in New Zealand is quite unusual in the world in not having death or estate duties or, mm. or gift duties. So, you know, I again, it, it comes back to a conversation that you said about about what is you know what is fair, what should yeah. a progressive tax system um, look like, and you know, ultimately. Our system, because it's because it gives um, so, such a massive loophole to in, some of the some of the richest people in our country. It's it's not progressive at the moment, and that's why you get perverse things like a, a third of the richest Kiwis don't actually pay the top rate of income tax. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a, I find that a staggering fact. Oh but, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, everyone thinks, oh, oh, tax the rich, stick up income taxes. Mm. But, but there's plenty of rich people who aren't paying much income tax. Well, that's the thing. And I mean, look, I, I shared some thoughts on this via the um, uh, the Facebook page that's associated with this podcast as well, just to say that, um, you know, one of the legitimate kind of criticisms there is that, you know, even if you talk about, you know, what is the fair share to begin with, which again, there is no absolute answer for that you can look up. But even if it says, you know, that the top tax rate is 40%, said I would guarantee you that more than 50% of those people are not paying anything close to that on uh, on the top tier of their income, because there are so many different caveats and so many different loopholes and things like that. Um, that it, I mean, look again, giving away my own bias here, but I actually, I love the idea of a more flat uh, kind of tax system on, on assets in general, just because it's, it's so simple that it's harder to find a workaround for, um, you know, you create an industry for workarounds and loopholes and things like that. Uh, and I think we do need to come to a point in New Zealand where we ask ourselves a question about what is 
Sarah, and where do we want that to look? And, you know, as you mentioned, there will be some people who will be perhaps more affected by a change to taxes, to housing and things like that than others. Uh, But equally, we've also created an economy where we don't put money into things that create wealth that actually produce anything. We put our wealth into things that increase book value, but don't do anything for our our quality of life. That's that's the trade-off as far as I see it anyway. Absolutely. Look, I, I, I totally agree. And you know that there, there was that um, crucial statement you made in there about um, you know about people um, you know not uh, uh, that I think people need to take away about about simplicity uh, mm. and, and that, that's what this really comes down to is that if you have a simple tax system with with no exemptions, yeah. then rich people can't get around it and. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and people need to know that actually the, the probably the, the, the fairest and most efficient tax system is to, is to keep it really simple. And yes, mm-hmm. that will mean you pay tax on your family home, whether that be our tax or capital gains tax. Mm. But you've just got to trust that if, if, we, if we keep it simple, we collect all that revenue and we redistribute it in a progressive fashion that actually most people, most average people will be better off. And as you mentioned too, there's a there is a cut to things like income taxes as well that, that is factored into your your plan for this kind of thing as well. It's not just okay, we're going to take more money off you. You are going to get it back in in other ways too. So absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that's why you know our our working is that roughly eighty percent of people will be better off. Mm. So mm. It, you know, keeping things simple means you raise a hell of a lot of money and means you can you know you can do great things for yeah. for the average person. Yeah. Jeff Simmons, leader of the Opportunities Party. I'm really grateful for your time. If somebody wants to stay uh, in touch with you, we'll keep on uh, keep, keep tabs with what you're doing and where you're going with um, these other kind of events and things. What's the best way for them to go about doing that? Oh, easiest way is to follow us on Facebook, uh, the Opportunities Party, and uh, you know all of our all of our uh, events and uh, thoughts and blogs and things uh, go up there. Mm, awesome. Jeff, thank you very much. And uh, for those of you listening too, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. As I said for, at the very beginning, I think it's really important now that you know we live in an age where to try and pretend you're impartial about everything, impartial about everything is ridiculous. Uh, and so for me, I'm, I'm flying my colors here to say that I think we need to take a look at what we do with property in New Zealand. Um, I think the fact that we're tying all our cash up into, into houses that don't produce anything is not good for us. Um, but if we're going to rebalance that, we've got to have the courage to have that conversation. So now it is over to you. If you want to send your thoughts through to me as well, um, you can send them to the Andrew Curtis show at gmail.com. There's also facebook.com slash the Andrew Curtis show. You can comment there. And also too, if you're listening to this and you're an economist and, uh, or an expert in this field, and you completely disagree with everything that, uh, Jeff and I have been talking about, feel free to, uh, give me a call. We'll, we'll tee up a, a counter conversation and see where that goes as well. So once again, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you again soon.